From Steel Valley Media, this is the Frosty Podcast. The Fortune 500 is the iconic list of large companies in this country. When you've made the Fortune 500, you know you've made the big time. It's a measure of prestige. It says they're big enough to play with the big boys. Welcome to the Frosty Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Frost. With me, as always, Tony Perenni. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Podbean. Tony, we had a fantastic week eight. Yes, we did. And I spent all day glued to my Twitter with trade deadline day, seeing if there were going to be any moves coming on that were going to affect my team. And uh, it went out like a lamb today. There was nothing going on. So it's business as usual for all of our owners going into this next week nine. Well, and Tony, let's get right into it with this week's opening bell presented by Dunder Mifflin Paper Company Incorporated. And to start off this podcast, Tony, we have to go back to week seven. We announced that Steve Groover had won the Meanderwood Melee 104 to 102.2. However, as Lee Corso would say, not so fast, my friend, because there was a stat correction after we recorded, which found Steve dropping from 104 down to 102.2. One. So Dave Pestian, super sack, wins the Meanderwood melee by 0.1 points. We have seen stat corrections, Tony, but I don't think we've ever seen a stat correction that has changed the outcome of a game essentially Wednesday morning of the next week. Uh, Tony, what was your reaction to that? I was shocked when it came through the Discord app to, to learn that uh, that Dave had actually won the game and not Steve. We haven't seen anything like that in our league so far. I'm sure stat corrections happen all the time, but they probably are unnoticed for the most part because it doesn't affect the game on any uh, any stage. But this was this was huge. It kept kept Dave's playoff hopes alive, and as we'll see today, we'll break his game down in a little bit here, but. Uh, he is firmly alive in the playoff picture now because of that. So um, I think there's going to be a lot of coaches moving forward, hoping for some stat corrections come Wednesday now to maybe give them uh, some second life during the week. So moving into our first game of this week, Tony, we have Kevin Hulick's law offices of Saul Goodman beating Joe Reedy's footloose prosthetics 133.1 to 96.1. And Kevin Hulick now finds himself on a two-game win streak and second in the warehouse division. He got most of his points coming from DeAndre Hopkins, which is he's DeAndre's been kind of struggling throughout this year. Uh Patriots defense, of course, puts up a great game, and DJ Chark puts up another great game. Uh so Kevin having his guys that he's relied on showing up. And for Joe Reedy, Le'Veon Bell still struggling and nobody breaking 20 on Joe's roster. 
Yeah, starting to become a disturbing trend for Joe's team here because uh, the last couple of weeks he's been failing to break 100 uh, pretty often. For somebody who started out the season so fast and so strong uh, as the leading scorer in the league to have cooled off this much, really without too many injuries hitting, it's, it's really odd, really, really odd. And you have to wonder if, you know, his, his players start to – show some positive regression in the coming weeks and start to even back out to about maybe not, not where they started, but at least to where the projections are because he hasn't been close the last couple of weeks. I think it's definitely something to be concerned with if you're Joe at this point, because this has happened enough times for you to really be worried about it. Uh, on the other side, Kevin's team is now the hottest team in the league. They are surging. They've won two straight. They're scoring every single week either hitting their projection or beating it. Uh, Got to feel good with where he is. And and if you look at the standings now, he is in the playoffs if it ended today. So just a meteoric rise for his team from a couple weeks ago. Next game here, Tony, we have Vince Gorgonzola's Grandpa's Cheese Barn beating Dave Peschen's Super Sack 145.4 to 135.9. Uh, so a 10-point spread there. So Dave coming off that emotional win last week. Christian McCaffrey puts up good points there at 27.5. Julian Edelman matching him at 27.5. Uh, so, you know, at, at 135.9 points, Dave's team had a great showing. Unfortunately, it just wasn't enough to overcome Saquon Barkley's almost 30 and the rest of Vince's team just putting up, you know, really good numbers. And I think we keep seeing this out of Vince. He's still the top scorer in the league uh, by about 50 points and first place in the sales division. If the season ends today, Vince is has that first round bye. Yeah, familiar territory for Dave in back-to-back weeks going into the Monday night game, hoping to come out on top. Uh, last week, it showed up a little bit late for him, but he did get that that miracle coming through, but not so this week. James Conner puts up 24 points for Vince, and that is enough to do in Dave Peston this week and put him down to three and five. Uh, Vince now up to six and two, tied for first in the sales team division, puts him into a pivotal uh, first place game this week against fellow rookie Charlie Thurber, who he just faced a couple weeks ago. So, um, familiarity is already there between those two teams. It's going to be a big matchup this week. Uh, but Dave right now finding himself in the playoff picture too, because the rest of the league has kind of pushed towards the center here in the last couple weeks. Uh, there's really nobody out of it. There's really nobody who uh, really, really needs to have their nose in the ACT pamphlet at this point. Moving on to our next game, Tony, Charlie Thurber's capital expenditures had a very big day at 175.5, beating Tim Taft's struggling Green Dragon at 82.1. And what a great overall team effort by Thurber's squad. Mike Evans, who has, has you know, Thurber's been kind of benching him, playing him, benching him, playing him, seems most weeks to play that right. Gets 42.8 points. Tevin Coleman, 37.8. Michael Thomas, 27.3. Just some monster games for Thurber's squad. On the flip side of that, T. 
Tim Taft not even playing a defense, not even a defense on the roster. So kind of questioning there what Tim's doing, if this was a, a week he wasn't paying attention or if uh, if it was a part of a longer term strategy to drop this game and not have to lose a guy off of his bench. I'm just not sure what to make of that because Deshaun Watson had a good game at 27.8, but the rest of his squad really struggling. Well, on Tim's side, the uh, the defense, uh, that that is a factor of uh, going into the Monday night game. He already knew he was not going to win. So um, just reading the tea leaves here, he had 82.1 points going into the Monday night game. So he dropped the defense and picked up Mark Walton, running back of Miami, in order to get ahead of the waiver process there. So actually a pretty smart move on Tim's part, I think. Uh, to jump the gun there and not have to worry about spending any free agent money on that player come today um, in, a, in a week that where he definitely was not going to win. Uh, Charlie's team, looking at the way they went off, and then he has in his flex, D.D. Westbrook has puts up zero points because he leaves the game early. Uh, just looking through the roster, if Charlie puts David Montgomery in his flex instead of D.D. Westbrook, he hits 200 points for the week. That illustrious number that nobody has hit in our league at this point. So what a week he put together. Um, you know, he has not been putting up points like this on a week to week basis. He keeps getting just enough to win, but this is a hell of an effort for him and definitely a big one for him to go into the big matchup with Vince this week. Um, on the flip side, Tim's team, uh, you know, you'd all you have to do is look at the bench right now to see where his issues are. David Johnson, Adam Thielen, A.J. Green, Devontae Adams. That is an all-star team of injured players that he has on his bench. You know, every year you see one fantasy team out there just gets decimated by injuries. Normally it's mine. This year it's Tim, unfortunately. So he needs to get those guys healthy again. I think he can get back to his winning ways. But right now, his lack of depth is hurting him. Finishing up here. Uh, Steve Groover's EBDB B&B beats Tyler Kerr's Cyberdyne Systems 156.9 to 109.2. And then Tony, your Nooks and Fannies beat Kalen King's Prestige Worldwide 144.7 to 101.1 to give Kalen his fifth loss in a row. Frosty Podcast, Jinx is real. And it is hitting Kalen hard right now. I know he's he's clamoring to try and get back on the podcast to try and reverse his fortune, but uh, I think he's going to have to do it the old-fashioned way. I think he's just going to have to uh, win a hard-fought battle this week. Uh, he's got the rumpus in Columbus this week against uh, fellow Columbusite uh, Tyler Kerr. Uh, he needs to get this one to you know get back in that playoff picture right now because he's sitting alone at two and six. And that'll do it for the opening bell presented by Dunder Mifflin Paper Company Incorporated. Hmm, okay, all right. Four uh, factors into 24, six times. Uh, multiply both sides by four. Okay. Oh, 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 hey, guys. Uh, intern Dave here, a.k.a. Frosty the Showman, with another installment of the ABCs of the ACTs. Last week... I left you with a real brain buster, and I hope you're able to figure out the answer is 4K. Yes, Steve, just like TV resolution, you are very observant, and hopefully you were also observant enough to realize that question came from the math section. 
I only I only bring this up because, well, I uh, I completely overlooked the fact that the reading, English and science sections all include some sort of uh, story or chart or passage, which really makes it extremely difficult to use those sections for an audio friendly ACT review. But lucky for you and honestly, lucky for me, there are another 59 questions in this downloaded copy of an ACT practice practice exam within the math section. So let's go ahead and jump into the next review question. Walking at a constant rate of nine kilometers per hour, Juan can cross a bridge at six minutes. What is the length of the bridge in meters? So let, let, let's just go ahead through this one and maybe walk through uh, step by step. First off, you might not realize it, but this is a trick question. Clearly, this is America. We don't use this terribly thought out metrics. We need to do some simple conversions. Juan is walking at nine clicks an hour. Quick Google search will show you that there are 0.6214 miles to a click gives us 5.6 mph go ahead and keep google open because you're going to need to use that to confirm that the average walking pace is three to four miles an hour so now we know juan is a liar go ahead and put that in the bank because that'll be important for later okay so juan says it takes him six minutes we already know that's not true but it's the equivalent of 0.1 hours go ahead times that by our made up speed and we've got 0.55926 mile long bridge all right, now let's swing back around for our possible answers real quick. And uh, you've you've got you've got to be quick. You got to be kidding me. All right, so the answers in meters. Uh, all right, well, tune in next week to find out the truth about Juan's journey. And this has been the ABCs of the ACTs, brought to you by Hooked on Phoenix. I wouldn't Avada dare you to take the owls without this amazing prep tool. And last but not least, Steve, you still have to paint that shed. Uh, all right, now back to the show. Welcome back to the Frosty Podcast. And now it's time to dig into some NFL news. So welcome back to the podcast intern, Dave Peschen. Woo! Gentlemen, how is it going? Are you ready for some hot topics? Let's go. All right, so first up on the docket, uh, pretty big news recently here. The NCAA Board of Governors gives the unanimous go-ahead for athletes to benefit off of their likeliness. And uh, my impression of this is strictly to make money from endorsements and sponsors. Uh, so it, this is kind of a, an interesting area. There are some listeners in the audience that are obviously familiar with uh, the NCAA and being a part of the uh, student-athlete population. But uh, also, uh, Tony, the one and only, has got some experience behind the scenes a little bit. So I'm going to kick it off to you. Uh, how do you feel about this ruling and do you think it helps or hurts not only the student athletes, but also the uh, NCAA as an organization? Let's hear your thoughts. Well, it's definitely a massive question there. You just asked Dave with a lot of different components to it. Uh, let me, let me just start with just saying uh, from my time in, in college athletics, uh, just, just looking over some of the rules and a lot of them are um, 
as, as many people know, they're very, very strict, overly strict on what student athletes can receive, which is essentially nothing. Um, they, they obviously don't get any money from the school outside of their tuition, uh, books, meals, type, type things paid for, but they cannot have any cash transferred to them. They obviously boosters handing the money is a no go, but they also cannot receive any money off their likeness. So any Jersey sales that might be, uh, if they're a star quarterback in the Heisman race and their Jersey is a top seller at the bookstore, they don't get any money for that. Um, really if, you were a graduate assistant uh, with the program and you went and bought uh, just a couple notebooks for one of the players that you might be helping in study hall or something just to give to them. That is technically a violation because you cannot purchase anything for a student athlete that uh, was not available to all, stu all, or all students in, in the uh, university itself. So it's a very all encompassing rule. I think this is a huge step in the right direction uh, with this ruling. Um, I, I never made sense that college athletes couldn't make any money off their likeness. Any other student in the university uh, could very easily go out, uh, work a job, create a company, uh, do commercials. If, if they're somebody who's famous, uh, you know, there's nothing restricting them from doing that. But if just because you're a student athlete, uh, you can't really receive any funds in any certain way. And obviously the Ohio state story from uh, Jim Trestle being fired years ago is a big one with uh, stu student athletes getting tattoos or selling their gold pants to get a little extra money. Um, it's, it's good to know that some of that stuff is going in the opposite direction now. Uh, Derek, what do you think about it? Yeah, I I'm with you here, Tony. I, I've always had an issue with this. Because you have these guys, there's no other path to the NFL, right? So you pretty much have to play college ball, whether you were whether you wanted to go to college or not. And this whole argument that, well, they're getting a free education, the value of that versus the value that they could make if they were allowed to go in the NFL straight away or after a year or even two, it doesn't even cl come close to compare. Let's not forget that college football is a multi-billion dollar business. And, and I'm careful to choose the word business because that's exactly what it is, where the those who are out there risking their bodies, those who are out there performing are not getting any compensation. They're not seeing any of those multi-billion dollars. And then you have the coaches. When you There was a, a graphic that went around a few years ago and it was talking about the top paid person per state. Vast majority, the coach of the premier college football team in that state. So there's a lot of money flying around, and none of it, none of it was going to the actual players. You go to any one of these major university bookstores, and they're selling jerseys. Now, they don't have the player's name on the back, but I'll bet the numbers of those jerseys correlate exactly to those who are performing at the highest level of that college football program. So this has all been, I think, a, a kind of a, a cruel joke that the players weren't being paid when, at the end of the day, they're the ones that are earning these billions of dollars for these, these colleges. 
And it's about time that they finally can make at least a little bit of money for everything that they're sacrificing uh, and, and, you know, putting their bodies on the line week in and week out. They're finally able to get at least a little bit of compensation for that in the in the form of endorsements. Now, Tony, I think we're still pretty far away from players actually getting some checks uh, as, as rules still need to be written. Uh, what do you think? You know, what do you think will constitute something that a player can do versus what a player can't do when all is said and done here? It's going to be really, really interesting to see what kind of ground rules they put in place for this legislation, because, um, you know, what what's stopping? Obviously, a booster is still not going to be allowed to go give, say, ten thousand dollars to a recruit or to. Uh, a student athlete on, on a team, but if that same booster has a, a business, even if it's, I mean, it could be a joke of a business, but they have that player come in and just film an ad for them or something and give them $20,000 for it. It's doing the same thing, but uh, getting the money to them in a legal way. So there's going to be a lot of different ways for the NCAA to look at this. I think this is clearly just the beginning of this. And I don't expect those rules to be in place in a real timely fashion. Obviously the NCAA does not work very quickly on anything. Um, but I think this is definitely a step in the right direction. I wanted to touch on something else that you mentioned there that I think is uh, something we really want to talk about as well. And that is you mentioned that there's no other way to the NFL outside of college. And you know, that the XFL starts here in a couple months and I think this is a huge, huge opportunity and also a massive threat to the NCAA if this is done correctly. Now, the XFL did not come in and do what the AAF did, where they completely dropped the ball and decided they just wanted to force themselves to be a minor league system for the NFL that the NFL didn't want. So they, they stuck with all the same rules the NFL did as far as amateur status went and weren't going to take any people straight from high school or weren't going to go poach any players from college. The XFL does not have those rules. So if I am uh, running an XFL team, or if I am Oliver Luck running that league, I am basically mandating to my coaching staff, to my scouting staffs that they need to go those rivals, top 100 players. They need to be in those high schools, recruiting those kids because if those kids don't want to go play college ball for three years and not get paid, they could go to the XFL and make $60,000 a year, plus whatever money they could get in endorsements. I think it's a great alternative. And I think, I mean, if, if the XFL could poach somebody like say Trevor Lawrence or a, a quarterback out there who doesn't want to wait around an extra year to be eligible for the draft, uh, I think that could be a huge threat to the NCAA and could really change how things are done on a wide scale no i I'm, I'm absolutely with you on that and i think it's much needed you know we saw that that you know and, and not every sport has this rule right so football has the three-year rule basketball now has the one-year rule which is which is a joke they call them the one and dones but hockey doesn't have this rule baseball doesn't have this rule so it's not like football is the only one that, that deals with this. They all do. Uh, football is the only one that doesn't have a real good minor league system or another option. And as you said, with the XFL, we could see a very different future. Uh, now, Tony, what do you think the fallout is here of uh, for the actual on-field stuff? You know, 
We've had Dabo Sweeney come out saying that he's going to quit if the players get start getting paid. Uh, Tim Tebow comes out, you know, good wholesome Tim Tebow saying that you know that the players should just be playing for love of the game. Um, you know, I didn't see him donate his whole uh, salary, and of course Dabo Sweeney's nine mil a year, and those comments came like right off of him signing the new contract. So. You know, some guys who have have not shied away from taking money from these uh, from their their likeness is telling the players that they shouldn't. Uh, so, Tony, do you think you think Dabo quits? You think there's there's this kind of fallout if if it all goes through? Uh, no, I don't think he quits. Um, to touch on Tim Tebow first quickly, because he's living in fantasy land. If he thinks any of the words he said there are going to take hold and that it doesn't make any sense what he's saying, because. Uh, basically just saying that uh, all players should be just happy to play for the love of the game. And um, as if he wouldn't have have liked to have made any money off his likeness when he was a Heisman trophy winner back in the day. And really every other professional athlete out there came out and torched him for those comments. But I I do want to focus on Dabo's a little bit coming from the coaching realm myself. I thought it was particularly ridiculous when he said it back in May. Uh, these are these are old statements, and I really, really hope that the journalists do their jobs this week and put the microphone back in his face and ask him about this. Now this has become a ruling to see how he follows it up because he really needs to toe the line here because that is a very difficult thing to say as as a head coach of a program, especially after you just signed a contract to be the highest paid coach in college football or. Uh, could be any football for that matter. We don't know what Bill Belichick's making or what some of the pro coaches making. They, they don't always disclose. So for somebody who is the highest paid in his position, who is making money off the players that are on the field to go in there and say that if they get a dime of any money, he's going to quit. That is a really, really tough stance to take when you have players in the locker room looking up to you uh, who are expecting you to go to bat for them. So not saying coaches need to be out there cheerleading for players to get paid but they don't need to take a hardline stance against it like that i think it's ridiculous and honestly if he followed up those those statements like that this week they're they're playing wofford this week if i if i were if there were players on that team i would just skip practice one day just not show up just to just to show him how they feel about it because they're not going to lose a game by missing one practice against wofford but they can get their point across to him that uh, they don't appreciate what he's saying there because it's pretty clear in that aspect he does not have their back. Well, I think, uh, you know, I, I definitely agree with you guys um, from the mindset of there's no reason reason that these student athletes can't earn some sort of income. And I think it's important, too, that at least not directly, it's not coming from the schools or the university. You know, it, there's an argument to be made that maybe it's a roundabout way coming from the university but for the most part it's, it's outside sources of business or you know, nationwide that might choose to endorse a, a collegiate player um, and I I do want to point out too that I, I think it's it's interesting that all of this 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 judgment that just uh, hit the news has occurred primarily because of the state law that was passed in California just recently. I, I think it was less than a month ago, if I'm remembering correctly. And and to me, the fact that 
you know, it, the response was so quick makes me think that the NCAA was ready and expecting this and, and almost thought it would be coming sooner. Um, and I also want to point out that this could definitely help students like uh, Jameis Winston, and he doesn't have to steal those crab legs anymore. Uh, <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> moving on a little bit, because I know the three of us, we could we could probably chat about about this for quite some time. But let's get into the next hot topic, and it's something that is near and dear to most of our hearts, and it's the old Cleveland Browns. Uh, they haven't been doing too hot. Currently sitting at two and five, uh, Rex Ryan has come out and publicly said that he expects Freddie Kitchens to be fired any day now. I'm not sure how I feel about that statement. I'm not a huge Rex Ryan fan. I also think that there has been progress made, and a, a lot of the mistakes and issues that as a as a fan and as a viewer have these mistakes that have frustrated me significantly with the penalties um, you know I, I don't think they all fall on the coaching staff some of them absolutely and and clearly there are some fine tuning details that Freddie needs to work out but uh, you know Derek how do you feel about Rex Ryan's comments and how do you feel about the state of the Browns and their coaching staff you know, I'm always one to kind of back back the coaches a bit. And as as the Cleveland fans are, are pounding the table that this guy needs fired, this guy needs fired, you know, we can't keep having multiple coaches a year every year and think that somehow the season's just going to turn around and the Browns are going to be great next year. I will say this, though. I was very frustrated throughout the whole offseason and season with Freddie Kitchens completely just allowing the team to buy into the hype that they were creating for themselves and, and seeming to have real, no real control over the team. And then they come out with the, the penalties have just been constant, you know, a lack of discipline, I, I think does fall on the coach. Then you have the issue with the recent challenges that he's made, uh, you know, the, in the game against the Patriots, you know, you could tell he's challenging based on emotion, not on what somebody is telling him. Uh, it was a, a pass interference call that was, I would say, borderline pass interference. But as we talked about a couple weeks ago, these pass interference calls are not being overturned. So if it's borderline pass interference, it's not getting changed. Uh, but you could tell before the play was even whistled dead, he had the challenge flag out. He wasn't looking at anything. He wasn't receiving any word from the booth. He was throwing the flag because he was angry. They called pass interference on it. And, and at the end of the day, it probably was. And then you have last game before the Patriots. And I can't remember who they played. But you have a touchdown that almost was. And then instead of just having the next play where Chubb would have easily walked into the end zone, he throws the challenge flag again. And again, it wasn't a great challenge. It was it was kind of a, a tough to see play. And at the end of the day, he lost the challenge, lost the timeout, and they didn't convert the touchdown. So Freddie Kitchens is is not is not the head coach that I think everybody thought he would be. Um, and at the end of the day, I don't know if he needs fired or if he just needs some support. 
I'm not a big fan of head coaches, first-time head coaches calling the offensive plays. I think you have enough on your plate being a head coach. But, uh, you know, so does he need does he need a true offensive coordinator that's also going to be a play caller so Freddie can kind of take the step back? I don't know. But at this point, I do put the majority of the blame on Freddie Kitchens. If he gets fired, I'm not going to disagree with it. But at this point, I would see how can we make this work because at the end of the day, Freddie was hired because him and Baker clicked. And if Baker's your future, then you, I think you got to give Freddie at least a full season. Tony, where are you on this? Well, let me start by saying that no coach should ever get fired midway through his first ever head coaching stint. That is within reason, of course. If there's, there might be some non-football reasons out there, but as far as the performance on the field, it is never bad enough that they get fired midway through their first season. That's ludicrous. You have to give them at least a, a season's worth of work. Uh, that being said, I can honestly say I've never seen a head coach in over his head more than Freddie Kitchens is right now. And that includes Hugh Jackson. Um, and that, that's a pretty profound statement, I know. But uh, it, it's very clear to me that Freddie was not ready to be a head coach, which I think a lot of us on the outside assumed and were really uh, taken aback when it started to become very apparent that he was the lead candidate for the job. Um but here we are now, as, as you mentioned, uh, the discipline issues have been uh, just brutal to deal with on a week to week basis. They can't stop shooting themselves in the foot, either with turnovers or penalties. His challenges have not helped some of his in-game decisions. This one, this, this past week against the Patriots, where it's fourth and 11 and he purposely takes a delay of game. Uh, puts the punt team out there, then purposely takes a delay a game because he didn't want to take a timeout and then puts the offense back out there, fourth and 16 in their own territory. It's just, he's doing way too much on emotion right now. He doesn't have any sound processes in. And I, I agree with you, Derek. I think, I think calling the plays right now and being the head coach is too much for him. I think he could benefit uh, and possibly save himself from handing off play calling duties to Todd Monken, who is a, an experienced and successful offensive play caller with what he was able to do in Tampa over the last couple of years. Um, I, I do think Freddie deserves a full year, uh, but things right now are not trending well for him. If this team ends up, I don't want to say it, but if they end up like six and 10, seven and nine, I do not believe he's back next year. I think it'd be a one and done situation. And it just, it sucks because I don't think Freddie was ready for this job and it's unfair for him. This ends up being an indictment on John Dorsey, really, who hired him. You know, their their coaching search, I was not a fan of it because it, it came out eventually that they were essentially telling every candidate that came through that was interested that they wanted Freddie to stay on as the offensive coordinator. Uh, at the least, and that is no way to conduct a search. You you don't tell a head coaching candidate who his staff should be, uh, and that immediately whittles down the list of applicants. So that's why, why when you get to the end of it and your finalists are Freddie Kitchens and Kevin Stefanski, uh, it looks really ridiculous when you have a team that was as talented as the Browns were. So um, you have a team that's talented finally. Talent is not the reason they're losing. Uh, a lot of it is coaching right now. And if this continues to be an issue, I can't see him being back next year. But this, he has a huge opportunity in front of him now. You know, the meat of the schedule is over. The, the teams that they're playing to wrap up this season are 
very, very bad. Starting with Denver this week, who is going to be starting Brandon Allen, who you would probably have to look up on Wikipedia to even know who he is because Flacco's hurt. Uh, That's a big opportunity. You have two games against the Bengals who have just benched Andy Dalton and are playing Ryan Finley for the rest of the year because they're in tank mode. You have the Dolphins. You have the Cardinals. There's a major opportunity in front of them. They need to clean up on the rest of the schedule and at least be in the hunt for a playoff spot, I think, to save Freddie's job. Yeah, I I don't disagree with you. Uh, During the offseason, the last – you know, several months coming into it with all the big moves that the Browns organization made. I, I, I told a lot of people that if the Browns don't win the division, it's a disappointment. And, you know, I, I, I'm sticking to that. And at this rate, it's, it's not looking that great for them. Um, is there still a chance? I think so. I guess kind of in closing, I'll pose it to to both of you individually, Tony. Starting with you, if uh, or how many games out of the remaining weeks? So we're going into to week nine. So we've got what seven, eight, eight games left. Um, how many of those games do the Browns have to win for you to feel comfortable with uh, Freddie Kitchens leading the Browns into the next season? Uh, I think if I had to put a number on it, I would say they need to get to eight and eight or nine and seven. But I think even more so than just a, a number, I think they need to show real progress in this end of the year. They need to they need to, to do to bad teams what they should do to bad teams. They should be sure. wiping the field with them and they should be cleaning up these discipline issues. They should stop turning the ball over left and right. They need to get their penalties under 10 per game at, at minimum. Um, they need to show progress, really, because this is a team that right now does not look like they're getting better on a week-to-week basis. And in most weeks, outside of that 49ers Monday night game, they have not looked out of place on the field with any team that they're playing. So uh, a lot of the fingers have to be pointed to coaching when that's the case, because they are definitely not outgunned on a talent standpoint. All right. Derek, how about you? How many games do they have to win? I don't think there's a number, Dave. I think... I think at the end of the day, regardless of how they do with this season, Freddie Kitchens stays. The question is, how short of a leash does he have next year? I don't think John Dorsey fires him regardless. I think you you bring in a brand new head coach who is coaching a young team. I think they had to have known what Freddie Kitchens was and were willing to to kind of deal with some growing pains. And so I think I think Freddie Kitchens is safe this year. I think if we're having the same conversation next year, he's gone. Uh, but I, I don't. I don't think there's a number for this year. I think he stays. Sure, no, I think that's fair, and that concludes this week's hot topics. Next up, Tony, we have our power rankings presented by Nutritox, proud home of the Crunch Enhancer since 1989. Nutritox. Food additives are our bread and butter. Tony, I'm going to give you my top four teams in our league for our power rankings. And uh, I feel pretty good about them. So at number four, going against ESPN, I got Kevin Hulix 
Law Offices of Saul Goodman. Now, Kevin is sitting there at three and five, so not the best record in the league, but we're seeing him start to surge. He's on a two-game win streak, sitting second in that warehouse division, sitting second in points four. So I feel pretty good at Kevin at number four. Tony, do you agree? Uh, not so fast, my friend. I know I know Kevin is the team right now that is the hottest in the league. He's surging. He's scoring every single week. Second highest scoring team in the league. But I got to go with Steve Groover's EBDBB&B at number four right now. Uh, I think you're only talking about a difference of 30 points scored over the course of the year. And Steve's team has been... Uh, starting to put up points on a more consistent basis. It's been basically every other week right now. Uh, he kind of goes as, as Kenny Galladay goes as far as whether they're, they're beating the projection or not. But he gets uh, Nick Chubb back last week against the Patriots. He puts up a good effort but fumbles twice. But that schedule really opens up for the Browns now over the next couple of weeks. Dalvin Cook continues to be a bell cow for him. He's got a pretty solid roster uh, and Lamar Jackson coming back off the bye. I think if you put if you put Steve and Kevin's team up head-to-head in a playoff battle, I would have to go with Steve right now. I'm going to give him the nod at number four. At number three, I have Charlie Thurber's capital expenditures. He's sitting there at six and two, technically in a, in a tie for first place in the sales division. Uh, but Vince owns the head-to-head, at least for now. Uh, Charlie not putting up great points but also having some luck there in points against Uh, we've seen Charlie has been kind of up and down, but currently sitting on a two game win streak. And I think pretty solidly there as my number three team. I agree with your spot on this one. I I think I would have him in my number three position as well. Uh, His team has definitely been impressive on a week to week basis. They're getting just enough points to win. Only has about 60 more points than have been scored against him. So it's been he's been very methodical on a week-to-week basis. Just getting enough with obviously this past week being the exception as he puts up 175. Um, I'm just not sure once you get into the playoff race that he can count on getting enough points uh, every week of the playoffs to keep moving on. But definitely impressive where he's sitting at 6-2. and two. He's got a big one against Vince this week that could definitely play a big role and where these people are slated moving forward. At number two, Tony, I have your nooks and fannies. You also are at six and two sitting atop that rough warehouse division. You have the third highest points for, and the second lowest points against. So definitely uh, some schedule help there. Uh, You can thank the schedule maker for that. But at the end of the day, your team's putting up points. Uh, you have the other playoff, or I'm sorry, the other first round bye locked in right now if the season were to end. And I think as we move forward, you're going to be sitting comfortably in that spot. I agree with this spot as well, obviously, uh, a little bit biased on this one. But uh, my spot in the warehouse division, Kevin is obviously surging a bit, but I have a three game lead. And I don't feel like my team has played its 
best uh, football yet up to this point and not really even close to it. I think the schedule for my guys opens up quite a bit here in the next couple weeks. I think I'm about two weeks from really hitting my stride from a schedule standpoint where the Eagles schedule gets really light. That's Wentz and Ertz. The Brown schedule gets really light. That's Odell Beckham. Um, and then I get Alvin Kamara back healthy in a couple weeks which will help, and Cooper Cup keeps doing what he's doing. I think my team's best football is ahead of him, so I, I really like my spot here at two. Um, obviously not enough right now to get to number one, though. In that number one spot, Tony, I have Vince Gorgonzola's Grandpa's Cheese Barn, and uh, I, I expected you to maybe have an issue with my number four team, but I figured one and two would be pretty set. Vince's team sitting there at six and two, atop not only the sales division, but also top of the league. Most points scored by about 50 uh, coming in above Kevin Hulick's team. And as far as points against, uh, sitting there at number three, facing 927 points. He's on a five-game win streak, and I don't really see a whole lot slowing Vince's team down. Uh, Vince Gorgonzola, top team in my book. I definitely cannot argue with that right now. He's on a five-game winning streak. He's had injuries across his lineup that hasn't really even slowed him down. Uh, his team just faces the adversity and keeps winning. Uh, right now, top to bottom, it looks like he has the best roster right there, and he's going to get Patrick Mahomes back and healthy either this week or next week. So that's going to be a huge boon to his uh, his projections moving forward as well. Uh, he definitely looks like the team to beat right now. I think that number one spot's justified in this instance. And that'll round out your power rankings presented by Nutritox, proud home of the Crunch Enhancer since 1989. Nutritox food additives are our bread and butter. Stick with us. Well, unless you're Charlie living in Arizona or Steve living in Memphis, Tim living in D.C., you probably reside in Northeast Ohio, and you'll notice that that white stuff is in the forecast on Friday for the first time. That's right. Snow is right around the corner. So ask yourself, do I need new tires to get through this winter? Farmer's Almanac says it's going to be a nasty one. So you better head on up to Lou Brown's Tire World. Coach Lou Brown is not only a pennant-winning skipper for your Cleveland Indians, but also runs the premier tire and automotive center in the Northeast Ohio area. Not sure if you need new tires yet? We'll stop on in and get an honest, no-frills assessment from Coach Brown himself. He's blunt, no-nonsense answers will leave no doubt as to where you stand. Keep in mind, the tires are the only part of your vehicle that touches the ground, so don't put yourself in danger by driving around on bald ones. Your car may look like a million bucks, but you drive like shit. So stop on down to Lou Brown's Tire World located on Bagley Road in between Willie Mays Hayes Bar and Grill and Dorn Auto Sales. Tell Coach Brown the Frosty Podcast sent you, and you'll qualify for their buy three, get one deal, also known as the Heater Special. That's only at Lou Brown's Tire World, a major league experience for your ride. Joining us on the Frosty Hotline, presented by Ollivander's Wand Shop, maker of fine wands since 382 BC, is coach of the 6-2 Grandpa's Cheese Barn, Welcome back, Vince Gorgonzola. Thank you much for very much for having me here. Um, I can definitely say that uh, it's an honor again to be on uh, on the podcast. I know you've been 
keeping me up for a while just because, uh, you know, I, I'm just doing so well in the league that it, it would it would hurt your ratings uh, from having such a, you know, uh, a powerhouse come on and talk and, and just, you know, pretty much tell everybody how to do their jobs. But, you know, the season's still looking uh, a little rough at the end here for me, so I'm not going to not going to brag too much just yet. I'm just going to count some ducks while I can. So, Vince, you know, we. We, you kind of had a little bit of a, nah, I would say shaky start, uh, but now you're finding yourself at six and two in a three-way tie for first place in the league, sitting there at atop the sales division, which has has proven to be the toughest of the divisions. Uh, overall, tell us how the season's going for you. You know, I've I've definitely seen some adversity. I um I I've definitely uh, gotten sick with the the injury bug quite a number of times and somehow my my team just figures out a way to pull out some wins and you know you you, you mentioned that I'm tied at 6 and 2 but uh if you really think about it since I I beat Tony and I've also beat uh Charlie that I'm technically uh number 1 so that's but that's neither here nor there but um you know, obviously, it's it's um, I, I got hit with the injury bug again with James Conner potentially not being able to play uh, this upcoming week, uh, you know, because they wanted to make sure that he was uh, getting every extra point to make sure that I, I took care of Dave uh, last night. But, uh, of course, two minutes remaining and he gets hurt. So um, it just seems like every single week I've, I've got something else to overcome. But uh, that, that's what makes Grandpa's Cheese Barn so strong is that we have uh, the variety of things to to really, you know, dish out um, no matter how hungry you are. So, Vince, is there is there any concern? I know you already mentioned that you uh, beat both me and Charlie, but you get to face Charlie again this week. Uh, another battle for first place. Uh, that, that first outcome doesn't matter right now because you're both tied to the same record. Is there any concern going up against him a second time thinking he may have you a little better scouted this time? Yeah, absolutely. This is a, you know, a very scary week for me. I, I, I think, uh, you know, Charlie coming off of a really, really strong performance last week. Um, and, and, and it's definitely not going to be easy, especially with James Conner potentially out for me. And, um, and my 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 real ace in the card, Austin Hooper on by that he's just been stellar for me going double tight ends for the entire season, basically with him and George Kittle. So I don't have that that power anymore. Um, you know, Patrick Mahomes is still doubtful, uh, which if he comes if he can come back, who knows? But it's a freakish knee injury that he obviously had. So I doubt he comes back. Um, you know, I, I still have uh, um Austin Eckler on, on my on my my list, but obviously last week was a pretty poor week for him. He's got a pretty uh, decent matchup against Green Bay. I think that that may you know maybe I can start him, but um, there's there's definitely a lot of uh, of people that are going to be on my bench that I, I I really could use in this matchup. Uh, the only only bright side I can say is that you know um, in, in this week Charlie doesn't get Jared Goff, which uh, may not be a terrible thing for him. Uh, Jared Goff has, has been doing pretty well, but uh, he has he's not he's not the the most consistent, I, I I would say. But you know, so there's there's potentially that upside. But other than that, um, he he has a very good chance of taking my my number this week. You know, Vince, looking at at your team, the production you've had, you're number one in points for, and I'm looking now at at your schedule coming up here. Obviously, you have the tough matchup against Thurber this week. Then you go up against Joe Reedy, who has been really struggling as of late. Steve Groover's team, who is sitting there at 5-3, and three, I think, you know, not an easy opponent by any means. 
Joe Reedy again, and then Kevin Hulick's team. So, Vince, I'm looking to say, hey, like, you win this week, you may win out. You know, is that something you guys are looking at, or are you looking more one week at a time? Yeah, I, I never look at it in the in the long run in that, in that sense, because every single week poses the challenges, and it's always um, a fight to the finish. So, um, even, even in, in the instances where you think you have a, an easy win, um, you know, you can see that some of these uh, some of these coaches that uh, look like we're going to be just going down the toilet bowl and they come out with a 170 point game like Tyler Kerr this uh, this past week. So um, never count anybody out and never take it take for granted one game. So um, it's definitely still a, a tough road ahead. Vince, you dodged a bullet a little bit with the Patrick Mahomes injury. Um, you, you always have to be a little bit concerned if he comes back a little too early. Sounds like. Uh, those, those wheels are turning pretty quick here to get him back in the lineup uh, that he comes back too quick and gets hurt again. How would that affect your uh, your your view going forward if, if you had to go without Mahomes? He's been a very huge piece of what you've been doing for the, this year. Yeah, that's definitely a, a, a top concern of mine. When I saw him, uh, the injury, I, I woke up in the morning. Actually, I was I was uh, overseas at the time. And, uh, and, and luck of the Irish said that, you know, I was going to win that game. And then I wake up and then all of a sudden Holmes is, is injured and, and there goes the week for me. But, uh, I, I think, um, there are some potential people out there that I can, I can grab that, uh, I I can kind of play the, the the quarterback lottery week by week, just doing matchups. I think I can make it work somehow. Kirk cousins was uh, supposed to have a good week, but, um, actually played pretty well last week but just didn't get any touchdowns so I don't anticipate that all the time but I think there's a way around it um for a couple of games but for sure to win in the playoffs is going to be very difficult um but then you look at Saquon Barkley he came back uh, just beast mode and got 28 points for me last week when uh you know that high ankle sprain should have kept him out for for a number of weeks so Vince I'll end with this you know you got Charlie Thurber coming up here you won the first matchup. I think, you know, obviously, if you win this one, you for sure win Rookie of the Year. Uh, you mentioned before you are sitting there in first place. Right now, you would have a, a bye week. Um, so, you know, I, I think either way, unless you have a, a dramatic decrease in your season, you know, you are you are the, the Rookie of the Year, and it's yours to lose. What does that mean to you, being the you know, rookie in this league and taking home that kind of accolade? You know, it, it, it really is a true honor. Um, I, I can say that this has been by far the best league that I've ever been in. One of the most competitive, but also one of the most fun. So um, it's good to just be able to put my put my stake in the ground and, and, and prove that I'm out there and I can I can I can provide some competition for us and uh, and, and really join in on the fun and and and, um, and and make sure that I can solidify my spot for next year. And potentially even uh, get a couple extra people in there, um, one in particular. Well, thanks a lot, Vince, for joining us. Uh, good luck this week. We look forward to breaking it down and uh, getting ready to crown you Rookie of the Year. Good luck. I appreciate it, Derek. Thank you, Tony. And uh, Charlie, may the best rookie win. And that was Vince Gorgonzola on the Frosty Hotline, presented by Ollivander's Wand Shop maker of fine wands since 382 BC. You can find them in Diagon Alley. Next up, Tony, our favorite segment, The Forecast, presented by Goliath National Bank, 
the world leader in credit and banking. We have a very special guest. We tried to get this guest on earlier in the year, but due to some unforeseen flooding issues, this guest was unable to join us. But I can think of no better person to help us pick the week of the second Rookie of the Year competition. Welcome to the podcast, Amanda Gorgonzola. <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> Thank you for that awesome welcome. <laughs> so, Amanda, let's get right into it here. In our first game, we have Joe Reedy's Footloose Prosthetics going up against Steve Groover's The EBDBB&B. Now, Joe <laughs> is projected to lose this one. However, he does have two guys on his roster that are on bye week. But regardless, Steve is going to take this one 131.5 to 103.3. So says the projections. But Amanda, what say you? <laughs> uh, I think, unfortunately, uh, Don't Skip Leg Day Steve is going to take this game um, I hate to say it, but he just seems to have more depth on his side this week, especially on the offensive end. So poor Joe Reedy, just I don't I don't know if his guys will be able to pull it off with, you know, the, the two running backs and two wide receivers that are all projected over 17 points apiece for, you know, for freaking Steve. So I think uh, EBDB is going to take it away this week. Yeah, I I really want to pick Joe here, but I, I think at the end of the day, Tyreek Hill doesn't have quite enough there uh, with, with Patrick Mahomes still being out. I think Joe was watching very closely to see on trade deadline day what Le'Veon Bell was going to do. And unfortunately, he stayed with the Jets, whose offensive line is just atrocious. Going up against Miami, though, so he might have an okay game. Russell Wilson's going to do Russell Wilson things. He's going to be fine. On the other side of this, Groover's roster is just top to bottom pretty good. Nick Chubb going up against Denver, I expect to do well. Matt Stafford going up against Oakland is expected to do well. Uh, I think the one spot that is going to be rough here is Juju Smith-Schuster going up against the Indianapolis defense. Um, you know, with the quarterback issues they've had out there in Pittsburgh, I just don't think Juju's going to have enough. But at the end of the day, the rest of Groover's roster overcomes, and Joe's going to find himself at three and six, and Steve up there at six and three. Uh, you know, but hey. There could be a stat correction, and Joe may take it. But I'm going with Groover. Tony? Such a crazy reversal of fortunes here with these two teams. Because the first couple weeks of the season, it looked like Joe was about to run away with that division. It looked like Steve's team was going to be very average this year, and they have since uh, flip-flop positions in the, in the standings. Uh, Joe's really been struggling over the past couple weeks. Kind of finds himself down in the toilet bowl picture now. Uh, where he would have been firmly in a playoff picture before, um, has has had some issues scoring points lately. But I, I have to think eventually that's going to change. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's this week when it happens. He's got some juicy matchups here. Russell Wilson against Tampa Bay, who has been giving up passing yards to everybody. Uh, Le'Veon Bell finally gets to face the Dolphins. 
that could be the elixir that gets him back on track. Uh, he's got Allen Robinson going against the Eagles defense who did not fortify themselves on trade deadline day today with another corner. I'm going to take the upset here. I think Joe Reed's footloose prosthetics comes in and takes down Steve, whose team has been up and down. Uh, this could very well be a down week for Kenny Galladay there, and I, I'm, I think that's the way this is going to swing. I'm going with Joe. Next game up here, we have a rivalry that we've all been ready for, and that is the rumpus in Columbus. Tyler Kerr's Cyberdyne Systems going up against Kalen King's Prestige Worldwide. This is going to be a game of two teams that have been struggling. Tyler Kerr is 3-5 and five and projected to lose this one, but Kalen King is has a five-game losing streak. Tony, I think we did this to him. He has not won a game since he came on this podcast talking all the smack he was talking. Projected to win, though, 98 to 47.1. But unfortunately for Tyler, it's Los Angeles Rams bye week, so there goes half his roster. Amanda, is Ty going to be able to overcome this? Or is Kalen going to finally snap that losing streak? (laughs) Well, um, this one's kind of a, you know lackluster looking matchup overall, but I don't know if uh, Aaron Rodgers is going to be able to give quite enough to Cyberdyne systems in order to overcome uh, Kalen's prestige worldwide. So I think, I think this five game losing streak is about to end um, for prestige. I I think that he's going to be able to, to put enough together to finally overcome another team this week. So it's going to be, I think, I think it will be a low scoring matchup here, but uh, luckily Cyberdyne, I think is going to be low enough that prestige might finally get out of the slump that they've been in. Yeah. I, uh, man with, with Tyler's team, you know, he, he's living and dying by the Rams, which generally not a bad team to go ahead and hit your wagon to, the problem is, is that eventually they go on bye week, and that's this week. For what would have been for Ty, I would say a pretty winnable week. So really unfortunate, the timing on that one. On the flip side here, looking at, at Kalen's roster, you know, it, I'm I'm a little bit concerned because he's going up against some teams that are generally pretty decent. Uh Kyler Murray going up against the San Francisco team. Marlon Mack going up against Pittsburgh. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott going up against the Giants. I think Zeke is going to be able to have himself a game. We know that's a rivalry game. So who knows what's going to happen there. But at the end of the day, Kalen's still missing two players from his starting roster. Up in the air, but overall, I think... I'm going to go with you here too, Amanda. I think that prestige worldwide, Kalen finally snaps that losing streak for one game before he goes and drops a few more to be in ACT danger zone. Tony, are you making this a sweep or do you think Kalen has a six game losing streak? This was a complete guessing game here. Just looking at the, the rosters because 
I have to think Ty is planning to go shopping overnight here on the waiver wire because that lineup that I'm staring at right now is going to look nothing like the roster he actually fields this week. Uh, this game has the vast potential to be really ugly, I think. There are some really bad matchups on both sides of this equation. Right now, the only good ones I'm looking at for Ty are those Buffalo players going up against the Redskins. But even then, you're depending on Josh Allen's arm to consistently get them the ball, which I'm not real convinced he can do. Uh, on Kalen's side, he's got Kyler Murray going up against that vaunted Niners defense who will very likely make him look like a rookie. Marlon Mack going against Pittsburgh is not a favorable matchup. He finally gets to dust off Ezekiel Elliott we traded for a couple weeks ago. He has a favorable matchup against the Giants, but that's about it. I am going to complete the sweep here. I think this is it. I think this is the week that Kalen finally breaks the jinx and gets back in the win column. So don't turn me into a liar, Kalen. <laughs> Next up here, we have a rematch of the power round rivalry as the three and five law offices of Saul Goodman, coached by Kevin Hulick, goes into town to take on Tim Taft's The Green Dragon, also sitting there at three and five. And this is kind of a tale of, of two teams as far as the last two games go Kevin after being a one-win team for for a long time now is on a two-game win streak and Tim on a two-game losing streak right now Kevin is projected to win 127.4 to Tim Taft's 108.1 Tim still sitting there without a defense so imagine that his projection will increase so, Amanda, which streak continues? Is it Kevin Hulick's winning streak or Tim Taft's losing streak? <laughs> uh, I think in this case, the winning streak for the law offices uh, for Kevin, I think uh, I think he's going to take this one. Um, as I look at the players and their consistencies or lack thereof, even though Watson seems to be the more solid quarterback right now, um, for Green Dragon, I think that overall, when you put everybody together, I think that Kevin's just going to have a much more solid offense from person to person. Everybody's going to be contributing quite a bit to each other. And I don't think that Tim has quite that same kind of depth. So I think I'm going to go with the way the projections are calling it this week. I think uh, law offices are going to take it. Yeah, I think this is going to end up being a really, really close matchup. Deshaun Watson is no joke. He's the top-ranked fantasy quarterback right now for Tim. And Darren Waller in there at number three. Uh, and, you know, on the flip side there, Kevin has multiple top ten guys in their positions as well. It's really a toss-up for me here. And, Amanda, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong, but I'm going to pick against you. And I think Tim Taft has enough from Deshaun, from Darren Waller. And I think this is the week that James White comes back off the shelf and has a big game going up against that Baltimore defense at Baltimore. We're getting to the time of the year where, you know, we start to see the passing game kind of dip off a bit and really start going back to the running game more and more. 
And that's where I think James White is going to have himself a game. Adam Thielen going up against Kansas City as well. You know, we see a lot of those those games are shootouts. Now, that was more so when Patrick Mahomes was in. But Minnesota and Thielen specifically have been doing really well since they called out Kirk Cousins. So I think uh, I think Tim takes this one, snaps that two-game losing streak, and goes back towards getting closer to 500. Tony, break the tie. This one's a tough one to call on a Tuesday night because just looking at Tim's lineup with the way he's just been decimated by injuries over the last couple of weeks, uh, not knowing right now if Adam Thielen or Devontae Adams are going to be playing this weekend, which at this point I can't assume that they're going to be, um, I think that is enough for me to swing things in the direction of Kevin's uh, law offices of Saul Goodman. They're the hottest team in the league right now. I think he's going to continue putting up points to his projection. Uh, not sure it's going to blow that away, but uh, if Tim enters this game without Thielen and Adams, I don't think he's going to need to. And right now, until until I know for sure that Thielen and Adams are playing, uh, I'm going to assume they're not going to be there. So I'm going to go with Kevin. I'm going to. I think he keeps the win streak going. Next up here, Dave Pestian's three and five super sack going into town to take on Tony Perenni's six and two nooks and fannies. Right now, Dave projected to win 123.3 to Tony's 110. This would be quite the upset if he can pull it off. Amanda, does Dave pull off the upset? <laughs> this this one was a really tough one for me. Um, looking at raw numbers, it looks like Dave can pull off the upset. But really, that's only if you're putting the majority of the points into McCaffrey's hands, which he has obviously shown he is more than capable. Um, I think that Tony has some players that could balance the scales there but I'm nervous because Beckham as as amazing as he could be I just don't know if he'll ever really be given the chance this season to show everything that he's got so uh, I I think when it comes down to it if I if I go with the the players who who have the the foundation and the support behind them, I think that it's more likely for SuperSAC to get the points that they're projected and nooks and fannies might be might be left wanting. So I'm I'm gonna go with SuperSAC on this. I think Dave's gonna get it. I love that pick. Mostly because I love that you picked against Tony. It's one of my favorite <laughs> things that happens on this podcast. Because Tony gets real sad and then he gets a little bit angry. But <laughs> sorry, Tony. <laughs> okay. I think the I think you pointing out Odell Beckham Jr. is a really interesting one because he's the one that I have circled on this too. The Browns are taking a lot of criticism after the loss of against the Patriots coming off that bye week. And I'm curious to see how Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry and company come back based on that criticism. We saw when they went up against Baltimore after facing a lot of the criticism, they had an amazing game. 
I think they can do that again. The question is, is does OBJ get the touches on that comeback game? I think no. I think they go to Jarvis Landry. Looking at the other side here, Christian McCaffrey going up against the Tennessee defense. I think Christian McCaffrey is going to have a great game and potentially outdo his 25-point projection. New England going up against Baltimore. Baltimore has been, to use Tony's term, Jekyll Hydeish uh, as far as their defense goes. And, you know, the Tom Brady-Julian Edelman connection is always a good one. And then Melvin Gordon, he's he's shown that he can be okay. I think he's still getting his legs under him. And going up against Green Bay, that defense is tough. So we'll see what happens, but I I think they're going to do a little bit more with him this week. So ultimately, I'm going with you. I'm taking Super Sack on this one, uh, mostly because I love to watch Tony cry. Tony, I know you're not picking it, but how do you think this game's going to go? No crying this week, guys. I, I If I was picking, I'd go against me this week with the way my lineup looks right now. I'm, I'm losing both of my best players with Kamara and Cup on bye. Uh, have a, a host of uh, poor matchups throughout the rest of that. The Eagles are still in the hard part of their schedule. That's Wentz and Ertz. So still kind of waiting for them to pop back up uh, to where they can be. Odell Beckham gets to go up against Chris Harris this week, who uh, was really hoping he was going to get traded today uh, to free that connection up a little bit for Sunday, but didn't. I, I think there's still an opportunity for Beckham to have a good bounce back game there, but there's there's too many other bad matchups there on my end. And uh, uh, on Dave's side, he's got that juicy matchup with uh, Christian McCaffrey going up against Tennessee. Uh, it's it's going to be a tough one for my team for sure. So uh, no hard feelings on my end, guys. So Amanda's welcome back onto the podcast. Is that what you're saying? She is. Anytime <laughs> she wants. <laughs> All right. Now, the game we teased earlier. Two of our three teams that are six and two are the rookies in our league, Charlie Thurber and, and Vince Gorgonzola. Vince is sitting in first place in the league, as you heard him mention, based on his points scored and his matchups. Coming in at six and two, both teams in the sales division. So this game. Whoever wins goes in sole possession of first place. Vince at this point is projected to take it 125.3 to Charlie Thurber's 100. However, Charlie still has Jared Goff on this on his roster who is on a bye week. So the question becomes is if his quarterback that he plugs in there can make make up that difference amanda there's so much on the line <laughs> who yeah. takes it um so not to not to be boring and just kind of follow all of the projections but um but they are there for a reason and i just don't know if capital expenditures is going to be able to to bring out a quarterback to make up the difference. I think that uh, Vince's grandpa's cheese barn 
Um, even though Mahomes is injured right now, I think he's getting really lucky that Goff is on a bye week because otherwise this would this would really be a toss up. There's, um, you know, just, uh, they're all pretty evenly matched up. I think it's going to come down to defenses in this particular game, to be honest, and. And that, I just don't know what's going to happen. Um, but I know that Grandpa's Cheese Barn won the first matchup um, between these two. And I think, you know, Grandpa's Cheese Barn just keeps on coming out with these wins, even when he's not supposed to. So I think he's going to do it again. I think this is going to be Vince and Grandpa's Cheese Barn for the win once again. I have to agree with you 100% on this one. Vince's team has just looked absolutely unstoppable, whereas Charlie Thurber's team has looked like they've gotten lucky in multiple games. Vince has put together a roster that both Tony and I agreed at the beginning of the season was the best in the league, and it has proven to do that. He has outscored every other person in this league by over 50 points total. He's 6-2. and two. He probably should be 8-0. But he had a couple bad weeks in there. The Patrick Mahomes injury does hurt, but Kirk Cousins, after the uh, little intervention a couple weeks ago, has looked to be pretty good. He's a game manager, and I think he's going to do that. Saquon Barkley is a freak. He's going to keep doing that. And that 49ers defense going up against Arizona, the 49ers are the second top-ranked defense in the league and I think they put that on display. Regardless of who Charlie puts in that quarterback one position, I think Vince takes it, uh, and it's it's going to be, I think, a pretty big win to solidify him as rookie of the year and inch closer to that first round by Tony. Is it a sweep? Well, you couldn't have writ- written a better script for uh, the first season in the league for both of these players uh, for Charlie and Vince to come in and be sitting at six and two after eight weeks and tied for the lead in, in their division uh, going up against each other right now for the lead spot. Uh, it's like, it's like a Hollywood script right there. Um, and Charlie trying to come back from that first loss against Vince. This is definitely not the week that he wants to be without Michael Thomas. That hurts him quite a bit with him being out of the lineup. Um, and just just looking at the way Charlie's team lit up the scoreboard last week to the tune of 170 plus points, that is normally followed by a week of regression where you're down near 100. I could see that happening this week. Uh, the projection is there, obviously, without a quarterback. And I, I think there's just too many good matchups in there on Vince's side that he has going into this game. I think Vince takes this. Uh, both times and gets that rookie of the year title. And there it is the sweep. Amanda, thank you for joining us. You've been an excellent guest picker and we look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm glad my house didn't flood again. So uh, excited to be here with you guys and uh, finally be able to weigh in on some of this exciting stuff. And that is The Forecast, presented by Goliath National Bank, the world leader in credit and banking. 
Thanks, as always, for listening. The Frosty Podcast is presented by Steel Valley Media on behalf of the Fortune 500 League. I'm your host, Derek Frost. Your co-host is Tony Perini. Our overworked and underpaid intern is Dave Peschian. Special thank you to Vince and Amanda Gorgonzola for joining us today. Thanks for listening. Good luck to all the fantasy owners this week. And for those of you in our power rankings, you don't need to worry about it. But the rest of you should make sure you keep listening for those ACT pearls. We'll catch you next time.